Listening to the Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. Welcome to the show. This is the Fret Files, the Guitar Repair Podcast, the Guitar Workshop Podcast. My name is Eric Daw, and I make and repair guitars, and this is the show about it. But you know that because you found it on purpose. I will tell you that I have two custom guitars available as of the recording of this show. You might check them out. I don't even think I have them on my website yet, but I'll try to get them up there very soon. If you are a fan of pinup custom guitars on Facebook, I'm going to post pictures of those guitars on the Facebook page. So find me on there. I have a an, a black on black Telecaster style guitar. Uh, so black Bakelite pickguard on a black nitro finish. Beautiful guitar. I did a kind of a custom neck pickup on that guitar. It turned out really nice. And then the other guitar I have available right now is a blonde Strat-style guitar. And uh, they both turned out really nice. Go check them out. Those guitars are available at Emerald City Guitars in Seattle, obviously. My only dealer, Emerald City Guitars, (laughs) the sole dealer of pinup custom guitars. Check them out on Pinup Guitars' Facebook page or pinupcustomguitars.com. You can see them there. And that's right, I started the show with commercial. What are you going to do? Anyway, this is the Guitar Repair Question and Answer Podcast, The Fret Files. And if you want to participate in the show, it's easy to do. You can go to my website. That's ericdaw.com, E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link and send in your question or comment for the show there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to get in touch is you can call or text 757-774-8482 and participate in the show. If you don't participate, I can't do a show. So, and I, you know, I do keep promising more interviews that I've, I keep, I, I fail to deliver, but I do, I do have interviews lined up and I'm, I will get to them, but I'm having so much fun with the question and answer stuff that I just kind of put the interviews on the back burner, but going to do some interviews soon. So, uh, 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 watch for those and, uh, yeah, joining me as always this evening is my lovely wife, Melissa. Say hello, Melissa. Hello, everybody. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Things are good. Can't complain. Sweet. What can I say? We're better. We were sick last week. Oh, it was, yeah. It was not good. The whole family had something. Yeah. It was just not 
fun. It was like cruise ship sickness or something. It was, <laughs> I don't know what it was. It was bad, but we weren't on a cruise. We just got a nice visit from the stomach virus fairy. Yeah. It was a blast. But we're better now. Hey, uh, what do you say we read some questions, huh? Sounds good. Let's do it. We get Hi guys, as always, love the show. I wondered if you could talk about the effect, if any, that changing the neck angle has on Fender-style guitars. I've seen this done to correct action issues, but it seems kind of like it wouldn't be most effective tool to raise or lower action. Just wondering what your thoughts are on this technique. Thanks so much again for the show. Kurt from Seattle. Yeah, thanks for the question, Kurt. Yeah, there's, um, yeah, that's something that you can do. You know, you can put a shim in the neck pocket of a Fender style guitar, and and a lot of Fenders come from the factory with shims in the neck pocket. And the reason that they're in there is if you're if you're setting up a Fender style guitar and you're lowering the saddles. And lowering the saddles, trying to get the action playable, trying to get the action lower, and pretty soon you run out of room, the saddles are just resting on the bridge, and there's nowhere left to go. You can't you can't lower them anymore. The only way to correct that is to shim the neck, and that's why the neck is shimmed. It's not really to correct uh, the action, or it's not really to raise or lower the action. It's it's to put the neck at the correct angle so that the saddles are sitting at a reasonable place, not too high, not too low, if that makes sense. So really it's it's a it's a remedy to a to a problem that's not not really related to action. It's more about the angle of the neck relative to the body so that the uh so that the the strings are sitting in the correct place relative to everything else. If that makes sense. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Totally. Yeah, it's not really something that you do if unless you have to not that it's a necessarily terrible thing to do. I I really don't. It doesn't bother me to have a, a Fender-style guitar with a shim in the neck pocket. It bothers some people, but what are you going to do? Some some people are bothered by anything. Yeah, most yeah. people are bothered by anything, yeah. seems like. <laughs> All right, thanks, Kurt. Eric and Melissa, I absolutely love your show and thought it would be I thought it was about time to contribute. Should you choose to give this question about time time. it's about time yeah i'm a social worker who is just beginning to explore guitar building and repair i've long been been obsessed with the guitar after spending the day working on social and behavioral problems with people it's pretty freeing to work on problems with a physical answer either you dig in with a tool and fix something or you dig in with a tool and make a well thought out time intensive custom piece of garbage (laughs) yeah Besides the guitar horror stories episode, some of my favorite moments in your podcast include your recommendations of books and resources. I know guitar finishing is not your favorite thing, but I'd love if you rattled off some nitro finish resources and techniques. Extra points if those resources lend themselves to row home basement or tiny backyard workspaces. We are familiar with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, your pinup finishes look amazing. Any technical advice on relic finishes? I consulted YouTube, but needed no further instruction on how to get clumsy with a random orbital sander. <laughs> Thanks for this podcast. It is important to me. Kent from Philadelphia. Nice. Thanks, Kent. 
I appreciate you submitting a question. You know, it's funny. He, so Kent is a social worker, and he's saying that after spending the day working on on social and behavioral problems with people, it's pretty freeing to work on problems with a physical answer, as in guitars. Right. right. You know, and it's funny because in a in a retail setting of a, a re, you know a retail guitar repair shop. Sometimes I kind of think of myself as a guitar player social worker. <laughs> I'm a, you know, because you you get guitar players that definitely have, you know, maybe social and uh, you know, uh, behavioral, behavioral problems. problems with in in relation to their guitar, right. not to other people. Right. Uh <laughs> We're getting deep into Freudian yeah. weirdness. Yeah, I'm just being silly. Uh, no, I hear you. Yeah, physical, you know, problems that you can dig in with a tool and fix are, it's very satisfying. It's really satisfying work to me. And uh, yeah, it's cool that you would comment on that. Um, he wants to hear nitro finish resources and techniques. I, You know, I hesitate to even go into it. And the reason why uh, is because nitro finishing is so it's it it's really bad stuff man it's poisonous first of all chemically it's very very poisonous you have to wear a respirator you have to be careful using the stuff you have to use it in a really well ventilated area preferably um you know filtered and um it's just not nice. It's not fun. It's not nice to, stuff to deal with. There are people who enjoy doing paint work. They're called crazy. <laughs> and No, there's some very nice people that do finish work. I'm only kidding. They're laughing hardest right now. Uh, I, I, like I say, I hesitate to, to really even say, but, uh, you know, things can be experimented on on a small scale but you have to have the right space for it don't try doing this in your house god don't try doing this in your house especially with other people home and the fumes will take five days to dissipate you got to do this in a workshop that's well ventilated or outside and leave what you've painted outside but you can buy you know, there's a great website called Reranch, R-E-R-A-N-C-H, Reranch.com. And there are tutorials on there about how to kind of do DIY nitro finishing and relicking. That's where I would steer you to get some of that information. Um, the whole finishing process would take the rest of the show for me to tell you about. There's a whole lot of sanding and pore filling and the sealing and wet sanding and it goes on and on and on and on. And it's a an involved process and there's a lot of trial and error if you're a beginner. So, you know, it's something that I would recommend reading up on and see if, you know, see if it's something that you want to delve into and then tread lightly, you know, start light. Uh, but reranch.com, check that out. That's a good resource for um, kind of DIY nitro finish work and relic finish work. Uh, I, I don't really have much advice on relic finishes. I do what works for me, and um, I actually have 
a lot of techniques that I don't like to talk about because it seems like every time I do, somebody else starts some little guitar company. <laughs> no, not really, but uh, I it's it's not something that I that I really. The not, proprietary. Yeah, it's not any kind of proprietary thing, but it has taken me 10 years. I've been making those guitars for 10 years. It has taken me 10 years to learn what I know about it. And I hate to just... Yeah. Well, and I was commenting, you know, last week, Eric uh, was just finishing up a couple guitars and he tried two totally new techniques to, to relic. I'm like... Yeah. It's just... Yeah, it's I did. Constantly it's changing, a, evolving thing. Yeah, it is. It's 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 always an experiment. I know there's a yeah, there's more than one way to relic a guitar and um there's different techniques to get different looks and um you know, at the end of the day, what I think of it this way, you know, I was a I was an artist in high school and in college. I don't think I've ever talked about that on the show, but I was a painter. I painted oils, watercolors. I I was an artist. And to me, when I do a guitar, that's what I'm doing. I'm doing a painting on a guitar. It's a, I'm, I'm painting a vintage finish on a guitar. It's a painting. Cool. Does that make sense to yeah, you? Yeah, totally. That's, that's what I'm doing. It's not, it's really more than just painting a guitar and then aging it. I'm doing a painting. I, I don't know how really to put it, but I, I hope that makes sense to you. And that's. Yeah. You know, that's what it is to me is it's art and it's an each guitar is a new art project. And that's really what keeps me motivated and into it and, and keeps it fun for me is that um, it, that's how I view it. It's a painting, but it also has it also has to play and sound and feel right because it's a guitar. Right. And that's what the beauty of it is that it's functional art. So um, that it's it's really I'm I'm so excited about making guitars lately. It's really fun. It is really fun. Thanks, Kent. Hi, Eric. I'm a novice, but I'm curious, and that's probably a bad combination, so I try to tread lightly. <laughs> anyway, I had an old Strat pickup that wasn't working, and I'm curious about how guitars work, so I started taking it apart just to see what was in there. It created more questions than it answered. It appears that it's just a coil of really thin wire around some metal pole pieces. What I don't understand is, how does the wire not short out against itself? There doesn't appear to be any coating on the wire. Does the coil just make some kind of microphone for the strings? And how does the coil not short out against the metal pole pieces? Or is it supposed to short out? I just don't understand. My last question is, the pickup was dead. It didn't have a signal. What causes that? It seems like Fender pickups die more often than any other pickups. Is there a reason for that? Thanks for the podcast. Ron. Thanks, Ron. Great questions. Um, yeah, you know, uh, uh, that's how you learn. You take stuff apart, and that that's that's certainly a good a good way to learn. Um, I'll take your questions one at a time. So he took apart a, a Fender style pickup. Was it a Strat pickup? Yeah. He took apart a Strat pickup and he doesn't understand how does the wire not short out against itself? Well, there is a coating on the wire. It's very, very thin. Depending on the kind of wire they used, there's different coatings. There's form var, there's enamel, 
There is polysol, which is a, a sol means solderable. So it's a it's a poly, you know, it's a solderable coating. I don't know how to describe it. Anyway, there's three or four different kinds of pickup wire. It's called magnet wire, really. And uh, it does have a coating. So it doesn't short out against itself. And it doesn't short out against the pole pieces. The pole pieces also are usually lacquered. So they're not bare metal. Mm. So you've got kind of a double protective layer there. Lacquered pole pieces, insulated wire. I know that wire is super fine. It doesn't seem like it could possibly have a coating, but it does. It definitely has a coating. It's just very, very thin. Um, Does the coil just make some kind of microphone for the strings, he says? Yes, it does. It's... 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 it's electromagnetic, so the string vibrates and creates an interference in the in the magnetic field of the of the magnet in the pickup, and then that is transferred into energy into the coil around the magnets, and then sent to the amp and amplified. Uh, he says, "My last question is: the pickup was dead; it didn't have a signal. What causes that? It seems like Fender pickups die more often than any other pickups. Is there a reason for that? And there is." There is a reason for that. Fender is one of the only companies that um, wound the magnet wire directly onto the pole pieces. You know, if you look at any Gibson pickup, they have a plastic bobbin that separates the coil from the pole pieces. And on a Fender pickup, they're wound directly on there. And so, you know, pole pieces rust, especially on a bridge pickup. Your hand is right there. You're sweating on it. You know, you're spilling beer on it, you're whatever else you're doing on it, you know. Um, and those pole pieces start to rust. And as they rust and the rust starts to work down inside, then all of that, um, the protective layers get eaten away through oxidization. So the, the protective lacquer on the pole piece, the protective coating on the magnet wire, it gets eaten away. And then you either end up with a break in the coil or the wire shorting out against one of the pole pieces. Yeah. And so it is more common for fender pickups to die over time. They do have a, they do kind of have a high failure rate. Vintage, vintage fender pickups. Hmm. It's pretty common to find an old fender that has one or more dead pickups. So, yeah. Yeah. Good observation, Ron. Really astute observations. Thanks for the question. Howdy, Eric and Melissa. Love the podcast. I'm a fiddle player and with a guitar question for you. The guitarist for one of the bands I play with insists that his Martin D18 needs to be retuned every time he uses and removes a capo. So whenever we switch keys, he's taking up time on stage tuning and reminding us what an inconvenience it is for him. (laughs) My suggestion that he learn a few more chord shapes so as to be less dependent on the capo was met with no small amount of huffing and puffing. (laughs) It sounds like there's some uh, disagreements within this band. There's some tension. Uh, Is this a real thing with guitars? Like I said, I'm mostly a fiddle player, but I've been messing around with guitars for about 20 years and have never encountered this phenomenon. My idea are... 
My ideas are that he's maybe winding the strings incorrectly or has messed up the installation of his fancy aftermarket Waverly tuners and the posts are racking. Or he just likes to be fussy. Hmm. Anyhow, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy work and family lives to do this show. It's a real treat. P.S. Thanks for turning me on to the fretboard journal. In a world of guitar magazines that boasts 100 hot new ways to sexy up your blues licks or whatever, it's a real gem. It is a gem. Take care. James in central Pennsylvania. Cool. Thanks, James. You know, speaking of the fretboard journal, if if you're a listener to their podcast and you haven't gotten an episode for a while... It's because they updated their their website. They moved the podcast to a new website. So if you're subscribed on iTunes or whatever, the RS, the RSS feed has changed. I, I sound like I know what I'm talking about over here, don't I? The RSS feed has changed. And so um, you need to find the podcast and resubscribe to it. I know because this happened to me. I thought, geez, there's not any new podcasts for a while. But if you go to their website, you can resubscribe and you'll get all of the... Uh, all of their podcasts again. They have a new website, by the way, that looks great. Cool. My website looks like it's from the nineties. Is there like? It's awful. My website's awful. From the top there, of there should be. It's white text on a black background. Just scroll, 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 scroll. You know. It's great. I know. It looks like a. Yeah. Anyway, that's beside the point. Uh. This is where. Some of that guitar player social work comes in that I was talking about, <laughs> you know? No, um, a couple of things that I could mention for your for your guitar playing friend there. One is, um, it's not uncommon to have tuning problems when you use a capo. You need to make sure that when you put the capo on, that uh, you've that you're putting it on right next to the fret. You don't want to put it in the middle of the fret. You want to put it right next to the fret that you're capoing up to. Um, That will minimize excess uh, uh, tension on the strings, right? So the capo, what happens is the capo is, is pressing down the strings harder than your finger would. And it's pressing down the strings all the way down to the wood, which raises the pitch. But it does it inconsistently from string to string. So you'll see a lot of players that struggle with that. So that's one way around it, is to make sure that the capo is just right next to the fret, as close as you can get it to the fret that you're capoing up to. Um, another consideration is that he may have a capo that's that's putting too much tension on. There are capos that have adjustable tension. For example, the Shub capo, it has a little thumb wheel that you, where you can adjust the tension. And you want it to have just enough tension so that it works. But no more. But no more. The spring-triggered capos, I love those because they're so easy to take on and off. But they do have a tendency to push down a little bit more than you want. Um, he also, he may need a setup. You know, if his action is very high, then... No amount of finesse with the capo is going to help. If the action's too high, then when he's putting the capo on, it's just going to pull the strings sharp, and there's really nothing that that you can do about it other than adjust the guitar. So he may need a setup. Um, you know, make sure that the nut slots are cut right. Make sure that there's graphite in the nut slots. 
These are all things to consider. Um, I suspect the tuners just about last on any tuning problem. They're they're rarely the problem. Hmm. Yeah, it's almost always a question of setup, work, or intonation, or, or technique, or yes. other things, other considerations. So I hope that helps, James, and I, I appreciate the question. I hope the tension in your band is relieved. I know. I, I hate to break up their band. Hello, Eric, Mel, and family. Could you explain some of the process of refretting a bound neck? Like how the process differs from an unbound neck and the best way to go about it? Thanks in advance, Zach in Ohio. P.S. The P90 you wound me is amazing. Oh yeah, thanks Zach. Yeah. He ordered a P90 from me. I custom wound a P90 for him. Sweet. And then he sent me a sound clip of him playing it. I know, it is awesome. I wish more people would do stuff like that. You know, you tell people... You make them a pickup, or you rewind one, or you do whatever work you do for them, and then you say, hey, follow up with me. Let me know how this turns out. I'd really love to know um, how you how you like what I've done here, and very rarely do people do that, which is okay. You assume that no news is, is good news, right? but it's always nice when people follow up with you. Man, I have that problem. I, you know, I, I'll do a custom strap for somebody and talk to them for weeks, and then get it in the mail, and never, ever hear from him again. Yeah, not even a... Yeah, Yeah, it's nice to hear, hey, I got the strap. It's awesome, just what I wanted, you know, or whatever. Yeah, it's always nice to hear some feedback. Yeah, Zach, thanks for the question. So to refret a bound neck is... It's, well, it's a pain. Uh, It's a lot more work than an unbound neck, for obvious reasons. So... Really, what has to happen is um, there. Here's the anatomy of a fret. Okay, the part that sticks in the neck is called the tang, and the tang has to fit in between the binding. So, what you do is you cut little notches where the tang is shorter than the top part of the fret, right? Sure. So, um, so when you install it. The tang fits just inside the binding, and then the uh, the fret part of the fret overhangs the binding just a little bit. And then you know, and you do that with a with a special tool that's that cuts the tang. And then you, at least I do, I take a file and make sure that it's perfectly smooth, so that that part that I've removed uh, is perfectly smooth and it doesn't have any extra material create uneven frets. So it has to fit just inside the binding. And then you'll go and uh, once all the frets are installed, you trim them flush with the edge of the neck and then shape and polish your fret ends. In doing this, if this is like a Gibson guitar we're talking about, you lose the Nibs. Do you know what nibs are? We've talked about nibs on the yeah. podcast before, right? Yeah, I was right? just going to ask about yeah. nibs. Yeah, so like when Gibson has a, a bound neck, you, typically the whole fret is inside the binding, top and bottom. And then the very last bit of the fret is the binding. There's little speed bumps, little, right. little plastic speed bumps on the side of every fret. And traditionally, the way to refret a guitar like that is to pull the frets, remove the nibs, 
cut the fret so that it fits just inside the binding, but then the fret overhangs the binding. So it's a different look. Some people don't like that. You can preserve the nibs by 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 cutting the fret to fit exactly in between the binding. It's tedious to do it that way. It can be done, but it's so tedious. Um, but yeah, it's just a it's 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 just a lot more of a process than an unbound neck. So it's more expensive too, you know, it, it takes more time, so it's more money. I hope that answers your question. I don't know, it's hard to it's hard to explain things like that. It's such a visual thing to me. And then I'm sitting here talking to my wife here. I'm sitting here talking and I'm moving my hands and right. accentuating things and and I hope it translates well in the podcast. Thanks for the question, Zach. Hey, Eric and Melissa. Hope your summer is going well so far. Eric, what's your take on string trees on a telly? Have you ever installed a bee bender? Thanks, Jonathan in Victoria, Canada. Thanks, Jonathan. Is it summer already? Yeah. Uh, no, our summer is going well so far. The garden is is growing. Yeah. We have we have sugar snap peas that are like six feet tall. No, they're eight feet tall. Are I they eight them feet? Today. I can't touch the top of them. Whoa. Yeah. Tomatoes, carrots, yeah, beans. Our tomatoes squash, just set fruit. I'm really corn. excited about that. Yeah, we got a giant garden. So our summer's going well. What is my take on string trees on a telly? Well, um, you know, I've I used to leave them off. I used to leave them off, but I've started putting them on again. Um, I don't know. I go back and forth. So a string tree is there to correct the angle on the high strings. You know, on a Fender guitar, the high strings, the tuners are are the farthest from the nut. And so the angle from the nut to the tuner isn't as steep as they are on the low strings. So there's a string tree to push the string down to make a good angle behind the nut. And it's supposed to increase sustain and just generally help things by if you have a good angle behind the nut but a lot of players feel like the guitar feels better without the string tree Hmm. that it's slinkier feeling easier to bend and you go back and forth yeah and that it's less prone to hang up on the string tree you know the string tree is just one more thing for the string to rub against right right and in a perfect world we we want less things for the string to rub up against but um yeah, it. I go both ways because it does kind of help the feel to take it off. But it does improve the tone to put it on. So it's a bit of a Hobson's choice, as they say. It's a catch-22. Mm. Mm. Indeed. Mm-hmm. You know what I like? What a really elegant solution is, is they have staggered tuners where the high E and the B tuner are very short. They have very short cap stands. Oh. So that so that it, it puts those strings at a lower angle. Interesting. Yeah, so those stagger tuners are kind of slick. If I've you, never heard of those yeah, before. If you hate string trees, but you also want a good angle, you can put uh, the tuners on there that have staggered heights. So 
you there's three different heights the the low e and the a are the same and then the d and the g are a little bit shorter and then the b and the high e are very short mm. yeah it's cool that's really interesting mm-hmm. have you ever installed a b bender no i never have and i don't really ever want to it sounds like a nightmare okay yeah thanks for the question jonathan an episode I recently heard had a question about setting up a floating bridge. While I've never had a guitar with a Floyd Rose, I had my share of frustration making a traditional Stratocaster bridge float, until I figured out a trick that would work for me. I used a piece of 1 8 inch thick aluminum stock, although any material should work, and placed it as a shim between the rear of the bridge and the guitar body. I tightened the tremolo springs until the shim stayed firmly in place, and then tuned the guitar, set the neck relief, string height, and intonation as if it had a fixed bridge. Once the guitar played the way I wanted, I loosened the tremolo springs, removed the shim, and using an accurate tuner, adjusted the tremolo spring tension until the guitar was back in tune, in particular, the two middle strings. The outside strings didn't return to a perfect double octave. One side pulled slightly sharp and the other stayed a little flat, but it's the average of all the strings that matters. My question is, I have a made-in-Mexico Stratocaster that I use, that used to sound rather lifeless, and I kept trying everything I found out on the internet to make it sound better. Tighten the tremolo strings so the bridge makes solid contact with wood. Put in all five tremolo strings... Block the bridge with a piece of wood. Eventually, I determined that nothing's going to make me happy with that guitar. I cleaned it up and set it up with new strings so I could put it on Craigslist, and on a whim, changed this bridge setup to floating. The floating bridge made all the difference. The guitar came alive and resonant and played better than it ever had played before, and I ended up not selling it. I was very surprised since this seemed to be against the common wisdom. I asked my guitar guy, an extremely reputable repairman, and he too said that in his experience, a floating bridge never sounds as good as a bridge that presses against the body at rest. What is your experience? Hmm, Interesting. Um, I like your, uh, the first half of your question here is kind of the tutorial on how to, how to set up a floating tremolo, and that's great, that, that's I do a similar thing all the time. That's a good. Uh, that's a good tip for the listeners out there. Uh, on your question, um, the difference, the tone differences between floating and flat up against the body on a strat bridge, you know, they'll they definitely feel different. There's that. I I don't know that I could say that there's a big tone difference. Um, you know, your mileage may vary. Uh, it, that's just my experience is that it's it just doesn't make a huge difference. Uh, I I like them both ways. You know, I'll set I'll set my personal strat up. I'll set it up uh, floating or flush with the body. Um, but I tend to prefer it floating just a bit. That's how they're designed to be. And they sound great. You know, those springs in the back, um, it seems like when they're adjusted so that it's floating, there's not as much tension, obviously. And it's almost like it's got its own little reverb pan back there. You know? Yeah. It, it, just, it just has a spongier, springier feel and tone. 
And uh, yeah, if you like that, then then that's what you liked about the floating bridge. I don't think it's a night and day thing, but hey, you know, every, everybody gets uh, everybody has different experiences and different opinions, and really, all this stuff can be so subjective when we're talking about tone and nuance. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back with more questions. Hi, podcast fans. Jay Boone from Emerald City Guitars here. We've been down here in Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle for 20 years, and a lot of things have changed. One thing hasn't changed, though. We still have a great selection of used and vintage guitars and amps. Now, that's not all we do now here. We also have a great service department, a great staff that's very knowledgeable, and tons of accessories and effects and just about everything you need if you're a guitar player. So we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year, and we're doing all kinds of wonderful things, including giving folks great service, great deals, and shipping around the world. Visit our website at emeraldcityguitars.com, and you can see our entire selection of guitars and amps that we have on our floor at any time. We want to thank you guys for all the great years that you've shopped at our store, and that goes for all the folks not only in the Northwest, but around the country and around the world. Emerald City Guitars, your best source for vintage guitars and amps. I don't know if you know this, but my wife makes incredible leather goods, specifically guitar straps. She makes hand-tooled, amazing guitar straps, and she's sitting right here looking embarrassed. Thank you for saying that they're beautiful. And um, if you want to check out my guitar straps, you can head over to melcoleather.com. That's M-E-L-C-O leather.com. And that will direct you straight to my Etsy site where, if you so wish, you can purchase and receive a beautiful, handmade, made-to-order guitar strap from yours truly. Do you take custom orders? I do. They're beautiful. You have to see them. MelcoLeather.com. Right? Right. Uh, As I make guitars, you know, we share a shop in the backyard there. As I'm making guitars, she's sitting in the other corner making straps, and I see her make these straps she's so meticulous and so gifted and thanks you're such a craftsman craftswoman you're such a crafty person (laughs) you're so crafty (laughs) uh really high quality leather handmade leather guitar straps check them out melcoleather.com Eric and Melissa. My question this month is about semi-hollow and hollow body electrics. Are they braced like an acoustic, or are they just routed out or assembled hollow without thought to acoustic tone? Matt in Chicago, Illinois. Howdy, Matt. Thanks for listening. Thanks for submitting a question. Um, You know, the answer really is um, that all of the above, everything you mentioned, every, uh, every combination of everything you mentioned is out there. There there are semi-hollow body guitars that are braced like an acoustic, uh, 
there are arch top semi hollow guitars that are braced you know with with long braces running down the top there are some that are just routed out there are some that have a center block there are some that have um like like a, a like a telecaster thin line that which is a it's a semi hollow telecaster they actually route it out and then put a cap on it you know so there's a so there's hidden cavities underneath you know so there's just about every combination you can think of is out there there's there's not any one way or right way to do it and yeah they'll all sound and react a little differently um but yeah it depends on the guitar you're talking about because all of those combinations are a thing What's the story on the router hump on vintage tellies? Thanks, Greg. Uh, thanks, Greg. The router hump on vintage tellies. Do you, do you know what the router hump is? Yeah, in the uh, the next to the horn thing. Yeah, in the cutaway. Yeah. In the cutaway of a Telecaster, right next to the neck, where the neck pocket meets up with the neck. There's a little hump on vintage. Telecasters, vintage Fender Telecasters. And uh, there's been a lot of speculation over the years on why that's there. Um, the story used to go, or at least what I used to hear, I used to hear that uh, it was a, a limitation of the machine that they were using. Right? Those bodies are cut out on a pin router. And... People used to say, well, the the, route, the routing bit couldn't make that tight of a turn there, and so they had a hump. But that doesn't make any sense, and the more I thought about it, because th that's really not that tight of a turn there. The, uh, the pickup cavities and control cavities have much tighter turns. So that doesn't make any sense. Um, I think that the router hump is an attempt to make that little wall thicker. Oh, between the neck pocket and... Yeah, between the edge of the uh, inside of the cutaway and the neck pocket, you know, there's it comes to a point there. Right. And it comes to a pretty delicate little nub, a little delicate little point there. And so I think that in an effort to give it a little bit more bulk a little bit more substantial uh uh mass there uh it was an attempt to uh give it give it more bulk so that it wouldn't break make it less fragile i mm. think was I that think, makes sense uh, yeah and i think that that's what the router hump is all about it's just about making that little tiny side of that of the treble side of the neck pocket giving it a little bit more bulk so that it's not as fragile Leo Fender never left a record like this is why I did the router hump oh yeah he did he left a post-it note oh it said dear Eric <laughs> the router hump is no I don't I'm well there's like I say there's a lot of speculation you know there's a lot of things about those vintage fenders that we wish we knew Seem, it just seems like I, I it's know one of those it, things that I should know. be known and it wasn't that long ago it seems like there should be an employee or something. Right. That, but no, it's there's, shrouded. Have, have you ever heard of the D stamp? No. There's a, a stamp, like a, like a metal 
stamping tool okay. of yeah. the letter D, uh-huh. and it shows up on, I don't know, about half of the vintage 50s tellies. It disappears by 55 or something like that, but from the early days up until 54, 55, whatever, I don't know, don't quote me on the year because I'm just going off the top of my head here, but... A lot of those guitars, and I don't know if it's half or what, maybe it's a third, I don't know, but a lot of them have like a a D stamped on either the neck or the body or both. That's really interesting. A big D. Did, at the Fender... And nobody knows why. At the Fender factory, did they actually cut out the guitars there, or did they... Yeah, oh yeah, they were made on a pin router right there, right there in the factory. That is so weird. absolutely what they were doing. Well, it seems like somebody should know what that's about. Is it a quality control mark? Is it a, does it, does it stand for something like done? Like this one's done, D. Is it somebody's last name? Maybe. There's there's a guy that worked there named Paul Dalmeyer. And Paul Dalmeyer may be the guy behind the D stamp. That's what Old Fuzzy thinks. Do you know who you know who Old Fuzzy is? <laughs> yeah. Our listeners gone crazy. They don't know. Uh so there's a there was a guy there named Paul Dalmeyer and Old Fuzzy thinks that Paul Dalmeyer just kept a D stamp in his pocket and stamped him with a D every time he worked on one. Huh. Yeah, but nobody knows for sure. No one Knows for sure. And a lot of, there's a lot of vintage guitar archaeology that we've done over the years that, that things that just weren't known. And then people discover it later. Oh, this is why they did this. Or this is how we de- decode these numbers. This is how we decipher, you know, like in the, in the late 60s, Fender stopped, they stopped writing really clear dates on their necks so in the early days it was just a pencil date then they went to a stamp and it would say like you know three march 66 so you knew it was march of 66 right then they went to this crazy like seven digit serial number number that has the date in it and the model number in it but if you don't have the code to decipher it then it just is just gibberish. Huh. It it's so there's a lot of things like that. And the router hump is one of those things where people have argued for years over what it is, and those are the two prevailing theories. And I believe that it's just to make that um that little lip a little more substantial so it's not as fragile. Well I think that there's somebody out there that knows the answer to that there's question. Not. You have no idea the people that have done research on this. I mean, really, the people that have, I mean, people have tried to track down relatives of old employees there, and people go through, like, Fender employee Christmas party pictures, and, like, they know everybody in the picture. Like, okay, I've talked to this guy's, I've talked to this guy's widow. I've talked to, you know, the, I mean, people are obsessive about this. All right. All right. Hi, Eric and Melissa. Thank you for all the work you put into each podcast. I always learn something new from each one. I was wondering what your opinion on zero fret guitars. 
I was wondering your opinion on zero fret guitars. It seems to me that they would be easier and faster to build as the nut slot can be just a deep square cut and the guitar would always have a nice low action regardless of the string gauge. Why are they not more popular? In a related question, I have heard of the baking soda and super glue method for filling a bone nut slot that has been filed too deep. Is there a similar method for ebony nuts? Many thanks, Jonathan from Waihee, New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, all right. Thanks, Jonathan. Um, so the zero fret is something that's been around for a long time. You know, I thought it was, and I swear I've s- s- talked about this on the podcast. Maybe I haven't. I don't know. I talk about so many guitars to so many people that I just don't know. If this is repetitive information, my apologies. But the zero fret, do you know what a zero fret is? I was just going to ask, is it yeah. like a fretless? Well, what happens on a zero fret is, okay, you look at a guitar, there's the nut. Right. And then there's the first fret. Right. On a zero fret guitar, the nut is moved toward the tuners. Uh-huh. And then where the nut was, you put a oh. fret. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've seen that. So that's a zero fret. And so as the strings come off the tuners... They go through the nut, which is now really just a string guide, and then they rest on the zero fret always. Okay, that makes sense. They yep. rest on the zero fret. And it's something that, um, like, for example, Chet Atkins was a big fan of, and uh, I thought that this was Chet Atkins' idea, because you see it on Gretsch guitars, and... Um, I just heard once that it was a Chet Atkins' idea, and I... I, I guess I just believed it but then I saw a guitar made in the in the 1800s that had a zero fret so apparently it's it's an idea that's been around for a long long time and it is a, a an interesting idea um one of the nice things about it is that you know when you're fretting notes the tone of the string uh when it's fretted is different than the tone of the string when it's when it's resting on the nut. And a zero fret, um, in theory, changes that so that all the strings have a similar uh, voice or, a, you know, a similar tone because there's no nut. There's just a, a zero fret. Um, and I think that the zero fret got a bad reputation because a lot of cheap Asian guitars took the zero fret idea and ran with it. And so all of the really crappy, just junky guitars that you see that came out of Asia in the 60s and 70s, almost all of them, well, I shouldn't say that, a ton of them have zero fret. Hmm. They've got the zero fret going on. And so I think it, it kind of got a bit of a bad reputation um, as being a, a junky feature. Right. That's my theory. I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it's an interesting idea. It is an interesting idea. I I prefer guitars with with nuts. I, I don't like, I, don't, I really don't like the zero fret that much. You see them on Gretsch's all the time. 
Hmm. Yeah. What about uh, methods for filling ebony nut slots? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he says, I've heard of the baking soda and super glue trick for filling bone nut slots. You know, that is something you can do. It's really not the right thing to do. If you've got a nut that the slot is cut too deep, the the right thing is to put a new nut on it. But you can fill it with, with bone dust and super glue or baking soda and super glue. Um, it's not really the right thing to do, but there is a similar thing you can do on an ebony nut. You can use either ebony um, dust, you know, from sanding ebony. Right. Or you can use uh, powdered graphite mixed with super glue. Hmm. But again, not really, the, not really the right way to do it. Well, okay. But it's it can you know it can be an acceptable uh, quick fix, or depending on the guitar, you know, it can be an acceptable thing to do. It's just it's situational, but yeah, yeah, ebony dust or graphite. Cool. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Jonathan. Hi, Eric and Mel. I wanted to say that I really enjoy the podcast. I especially like listening to your interactions with one another. I don't know how to describe it except to say that listening to you both, I get an authentic vibe that is missing in many other forms of entertainment. We do kind of like each other. You know, we got married and everything. Yeah. I get that the podcast is educational, but listening to the two of you keeps it very entertaining also. Good. I'm so glad. Yeah. So here's the question. I am interested in one day owning a pinup custom guitar. I usually buy myself a guitar-related present around my birthday, which is in early May. This year, I bought myself a new amp, but next year, I would like to buy one of Eric's guitars. Would Eric design a custom guitar just for me? (laughs) Ha ha, just kidding. Because I have internet access... I have been to the Pinup Custom Guitars website, and because I can read, I can see that there is zero chance that Eric will take a custom order, which is not a problem. I am happy to see what is available when I am ready to buy. Hint, I like Olympic white Telecasters with light relic and a not-too-sexy Pinup Girl because I will occasionally need to play in church. (laughs) So here's my real question. Eric, you are so clear on your website about not accepting custom orders. What happened? Did you have a bad experience making a custom order that one day you just had to put your foot down? I wouldn't ask you to badmouth your customers, but I am dying to know why you have such a strict policy. Keep up the good work, Randy. Thanks, Randy. Uh, You know, it's really... I used to do custom orders, and... I may resume someday, but for the time being, I don't take custom orders. And really, the reason is that I, I just realized that I don't need to, right? I, custom orders are more work, right? And I don't make that many guitars. They all sell, and usually pretty fast. I only make 10, between 10 and 20 guitars a year, and they all sell, and... uh Custom orders are just more work, you know, just by the nature of them being custom orders. I mean, it, it the guitar needs to fit exact specifications that are not my specifications, and they're hammered out in multiple conversations and emails and, and phone calls, and a lot of times, you know, somebody's ordering a guitar, 
They don't know what kind of frets they want. They don't know what kind of radius they want. They don't know. And they, these are these are really specific things. And so you have to kind of walk them through that. And then, then it comes time to actually make the guitar, and it has to fit these really exact specs. So I can't just use whatever paint I have or whatever fret wire or whatever you know it's it's all it all has to be in a, to exact specs it takes a lot more time and work none of that has to happen when i just make a guitar that i that i would want to play right does that make sense so yeah. you know and i really you know I'm, i try to be humble about it but i really think i make really nice guitars <laughs> and uh i'd just much rather have people fall in love with one that's already done you know, rather than rather than try to make a a custom order guitar for somebody when it's really a gamble as to whether or not the customer is going to bond with that guitar. You know, even if every even if every detail is exactly what they asked for down to the down to the smallest screw, there's no guarantee they're going to bond with that guitar. You know, they've got this image in their mind of what the perfect guitar is what it's going to feel like it's like doing mail order bride and now i have to exactly that's exact that's exactly what it's like and really did you get to pick out your significant other's hair color so it's it's kind of a situation like that i would rather just make guitars and have people fall in love with them organically like how you met your significant other, right? Uh, so that I hope that makes sense, you know. But if I if if I ever uh, slow down or quit doing uh, repairs and go mainly to build building guitars, then I will I will start doing custom orders again because I'll be making more guitars. But right now, I just don't. I just kind of don't have time to mess with it. I'm barely able to to keep up with. Uh, I'm trying to make two guitars per month, and uh, I barely have time to do it. And when I was taking custom orders, I'd be backlogged for six months with custom orders. And so none of my guitars ever made it to the showroom floor of Emerald City Guitars. None of my guitars ever became available. They were all, I was just filling orders. Right. And that kind of sucks. Yeah. So anyway, for now, I've stopped doing custom orders i may may do custom orders again but that's uh that's my answer and wasn't i nice you were so nice thank you hi eric i'm a big fan of your podcast my question is regarding my 1981 japanese esquire telecaster it's a great guitar but i really dislike the six saddle bridge and want to switch to a three barrel traditional bridge is there a brand you would recommend thank you art from seattle howdy art um i it depends on what kind of six saddle bridge you have you know there's the kind that has the tiny little uh uh barrels so there's, it's like the three-barrel bridge, but it has six tiny barrels, and it's the ashtray-style bridge. If you've got that, that you can just swap out, um, you can just swap that right out for a, uh, for a vintage-style three-saddle bridge. That's that would be an exact replacement. If you've got the more modern six-saddle bridge that has like strat 
looking saddles on it, then uh, that's a little trickier because the mounting holes are different. But Callaham makes one that's a direct replacement for that uh, style bridge. So it just depends on what kind of bridge you've got. But Callaham makes a good one. Uh, that's Callaham with an M. They make a nice bridge. I think it's about 130 bucks. If you just want the vintage style, if that'll fit on your guitar, you can get the Fender replacement, which is 60 or so bucks. And uh, alternatively, All Parts has a nice one that I like. It's called the TB5120. Uh, T is in Thomas, B is in boy, 5120-001. That's nickel. A nickel vintage style three saddle bridge for telecasters. And that is 35 bucks. That's a good option. But that's only if you're, uh, if, if, if it's the vintage style bridge that you've already got. So there's a few options for you. Thanks for the question. Art, that wraps it up for this edition of the Fret Files podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for participating. Find me on Facebook, Pin Up Guitars. Check out the website, whatever. Melco Leather. Oh, yeah. Melco Leather. My wife's guitar straps. Um, I'd love it if, if you'd participate in the show. Go to ericdaw.com to do that. E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link and send me a message there. Or you can call or text 757-774-8482. Thank you so much. We'll see you next month. Bye-bye.